Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1500. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, James son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it open their hearts to the call of their Lord. A long time ago when I was still just a young college student at the University of Michigan, I heard a pastor share a tale that I will never forget. This story was first published in the, in the 1941 Presbyterian Journal, and I've included it in your bulletin for today. Now, this article has been shared countless times by many pastors and in many different settings, so if you've heard this before, bear with me. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and would not thought for themselves went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station. So it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and their money and their effort for the support of its work. New boats were, brought, were bought and new life-saving crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Some of those members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they, they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. This life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations. And there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations. About this time, a, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, 
And some of them had black skin and some had yellow skin. The beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a, a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and, as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out they were still called a life-saving station. But they, were, but they were finally voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast a little ways, which they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old one. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. When speaking of evangelism, C.S. Lewis said this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. The work of evangelism is the most important work that the church will ever do. If you were to probe the depths of God's heart, you would find that it beats with a passion to save souls. Luke 19, in this story, we see there the story of Jesus bringing the good news to a man named Zacchaeus. And in verses 9 and 10, we read this. Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This was the mission of Christ to seek and to save the lost. And this is what Jesus had trained his disciples to do. In the book of Acts, he gave them this command. Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They are to be witnesses for Christ. They were to spread the message that Jesus had died for their sins and that he rose from the dead. And this is exactly what we see them doing. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that the gospel spread in the exact manner that Jesus had told them. First, in Jerusalem, then in all Judea, and then Samaria, and finally, throughout the whole of the earth. And did you notice 
that it was the Holy Spirit who empowered them. So we see that evangelism is the great work of the Holy Spirit as well. And honestly, if you, if you read through, the, through your Bible, you'll notice that the heart of God has always been winning souls. Even in the Old Testament, you see this time and again. Proverbs 11.30 says this, He who wins souls is wise. Or how about Daniel 12, verse 3? Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Our first reading for today, Psalm 105. Look at verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. Evangelism is the passion of God. And it should be the passion of His church as well. We see this passion today in our, in our passage in Matthew's Gospel. Look at it once more. Matthew 4, verses, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. If you recall, Jesus had just begun his public ministry in the village of Capernaum. And, and his proclamation was one of repentance and of the kingdom. It was this message that these two brothers had heard. Now the way Matthew writes his narrative, one could almost come away with the idea that this was the first time Jesus had met these two. But this is not the case. Everyone in Capernaum knew who Jesus was and had met him. Everybody had heard him speak. They, they knew of his message and of his claim that he was the Messiah and that his kingdom was near. Even though Simon and Andrew were fishermen, they were still Jewish. And they would have heard Jesus preach, at least in the synagogue, if not elsewhere. Now what is, what is interesting about these two is that they were not originally from Capernaum. From John's Gospel, we learned that they were from Bethsaida, a fishing town on the, the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. The question is, why would these brothers move from one fishing town to another? The answer? Prophet. Remember, I don't know if you remember from two weeks ago, we talked about Capernaum being a major trading, being on a major trading route between Damascus and Caesarea Maritima. And because of this, there was more money to be had in the fishing game by working in Capernaum than in Bethsaida. This, this notion that Jesus' disciples were at the lower end of the economic barrel is just false. These men, they were, they were businessmen. And they were out to make a profit. 
They weren't, they weren't uneducated or desperate. No. They were go-getters. Most likely they spoke two languages as they would have needed, needed to trade to the Gentile travelers that came through Capernaum. In fact, we know from Mark's Gospel that, that Zebedee, the father of, of James and John, whom we'll get to in a moment, Zebedee had servants. Yes, they were, they were fishermen, but they were businessmen as well. And we, and we see that Simon and Andrew, these men who had heard Jesus' teaching, they were not trying to become disciples. No. They were about their own business. They were on the boat. They were fishing. This is what we see them doing when Jesus came to them. Look at verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now the typical way that a rabbi would gain a disciple was, was by attracting followers and then choosing the cream of the crop. But they would never ask. Rather, they would wait for the student to ask them. What we see Jesus doing is the complete opposite. He did not wait for people to follow him, but simply chose for himself whom he wanted. And he was commanding with his words. He, he, he didn't really ask these brothers to be his disciples, but simply called them into that position. Come, follow me. John 15 verse 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. When Jesus calls a person, it's not a choice that they make. Rather, it is God's choice. Think about Moses. He did not want to be the one to go to Pharaoh. He thought he was too slow of speech. But God used him nonetheless. Or how about Paul? Paul was a persecutor of the church. He, he was not a person who, who would want to spread a message that he was fighting so hard against. But God said that Paul was his chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles. You see, a call is not something a person necessarily wants to do. Rather, it is something that they were chosen to do. And what, and what was Jesus choosing for these fishermen? To be made into fishers of men. He was speaking to them in terms they could understand. Fishing, they knew. It was their livelihood. What Jesus was, was saying to these men was this. Drop your ambitions. Quit that successful life that you've made for yourself and I will give you a new ambition. You think that you will find fulfillment in catching fish, but true fulfillment comes when you align yourself with God's priority. The 
heart of Jesus' mission was the salvation of men. But Jesus did not intend to fulfill this mission by himself. Yes, only he could die for people's sins. The grace of salvation can only come by Christ. But it is through faith that such grace can bring a person into the kingdom. And faith comes by hearing the message. And how can one hear the message unless someone preaches to them? This is what Jesus meant by making them fishers of men. He was going to train these brothers to proclaim the same message that he was teaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, they would be trained for evangelism. Let's see how these men responded. Verse 20. At once they left their nets and followed him. They had dropped everything to follow Jesus. Remember, this wasn't something that they had secretly hoped for. They had a good life. They were making a healthy living as fishermen. But they had heard the message and they had believed what, the, what this man had said, that he was the Messiah. They, they probably didn't have a real good sense of what they were getting themselves into, but they left their nets anyways and followed Jesus. But it wasn't just them. Look at our last two verses. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Two more fishermen. And they had left their father as well. James and, and John were, were, were most likely younger than Simon and Andrew. They were, they were probably teenagers at the time, following in their father's footsteps. Zebedee was grooming them for the family business. But again, we see that they did not hesitate. Matthew uses the word immediately. They not only left their careers, but they left their father as well. You see, this is, this is what Jesus does to a person. He, he changes their priorities in life. These men, they, they didn't know what Jesus had planned for them, but they had left everything to follow Him. And if you think that they didn't sacrifice much in doing so, just listen to Peter's words after their encounter with the rich, young ruler. A man who, who did not want to give up everything to follow after Jesus. Look at Matthew 20, verse 27. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? These disciples of Jesus had, had sacrificed much. 
They did this to become fishers of men. The question is, why did they do it? Was it the task? No. At least not at first. They chose to follow because of who was asking them. They heard the, the message of repentance. The, the message of the kingdom. And they believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The Messiah. They were following a man and not a mission. Brothers, sisters, the, the, the call of these fishermen is a call of every Christian. And it is a call that has been placed upon you. If you claim Christ as your own, if, if Jesus truly is your Lord, if He is the one that you follow, then He commands you to be fishers of men. It doesn't matter if you don't want to go or if you don't feel capable of doing it. It is what God has called you to do. And just like these fishermen, it will take sacrifice on your part. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should quit your job. Though for some of you, it just might. But it, but it does mean that you will have to take up your cross. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 17 and 18 say this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Overall, the, the church in America lacks courage. If it's going to affect us negatively, whether it be our income, or our relationships, or our church's standing in the community, then we'd rather remain silent than to evangelize. If you preach this message, if you want to communicate the gospel, you have to be prepared to suffer. You have to be willing to pay the price. The world will call you foolish, and it may lash out at you. You may lose friends. You may lose family. You could be mocked. You could suffer, suffer financial loss. You might lose your freedom, or even your own life. Dear friends, evangelism will always exact a cost. Listen, the, the, the Christian life is not a bed of roses. It is a life of hardship and loss. But for those who, who truly understand both the call and the one who is calling them, it is worth it. He is worth it. After all, it was, it was your Lord who, who suffered the most in order to call you.
Jesus willingly went to the cross in order to rescue you from your sins. He took upon the, the, the wrath of God in order that you wouldn't have to. And now, He is calling out to you, Come, follow me. In a few moments, we will be taking communion together. And it is at the Lord's table that we are reminded of the sacrifice of our Savior. The bread represents Christ's body that was beaten and pierced so that you might have life. The wine represents the blood which, which flowed freely from our Lord's wounds so that you might find entrance into His kingdom. So as you, as you partake, re reflect upon the sacrifice that it took for the message to come to you. And then once you have done that, think about the call of your Lord. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts right now. We don't want to be like that, that life-saving station that lost its mission. We want to be about your mission, seeking and saving the lost. But we can't do this without your help. Empower us by your Holy Spirit and deepen our desire to, to rescue those who are heading for the flames. Let your Son be our guide as, as He shows us what sacrifice really means. He sacrificed all He had in order to rescue us. And the reason the message has come to us is because of His sacrifice. So be with us. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.